Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. It's obviously been a very big week in Georgia politics, and uh, we've got a great panel to talk about the things that unfolded uh, ever since really the end of last week when uh, Stacey Abrams announced, yes, she would run for governor. This week we saw her begin to lay out the uh, messaging, the themes of her campaign. We'll talk about that a little bit. But the bombshell was, of course, the announcement of uh, David Perdue, who said he would challenge uh, sitting Governor Brian Kemp for the GOP nomination for uh, governor next year. So let's get right to it. Patricia Murphy is with us. She joins us on the Friday show. You know Patricia is the uh, columnist who writes the Political Insider column on Wednesdays and Sundays in the AJC. She also oversees the jolt, uh, the uh, summary of interesting and sometimes very important political news that you can read at AJC.com. How you doing, Patricia? You getting set for Christmas at your house with your young twin boys? Oh, yes, I, we are set. I'm looking at Mr. Elf on the Shelf over there, who is really consuming <laughs> a lot of our time and attention. We've got a lot going on. <laughs> well, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Um, you have a really interesting column that you put up online, and that will be in the Sunday uh, newspaper that we're going to talk about in a little while. It kind of gives us some historical perspective on the David Perdue entry into the race, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. We're also joined uh, today by Sam Olins. Sam Olins, former attorney general of the state of Georgia. Before that, the chair of the Cobb County Commission, back when Cobb County was very, very uh, Republican, um, and uh, now is a partner at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. How are you, Sam? Doing great. And Patricia, Elf on the Shelf is a great Cobb County business. Oh, you're kidding. Can we come to, is there an is Elf right? factory or something? We'd love to come see. <laughs> Yeah, the, the creators uh, are from Cobb. It's, it's his name, okay. Santa Claus? <laughs> we didn't create Santa Claus. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being here, Sam Olins. Michael Thurman is with us as well. He is the chairman of the Cobb County, of the DeKalb County Commission, and, uh, of course, goes all the way back to his years as a young legislator from Athens in the Georgia House of Representatives. He served as commissioner of the Department of Labor. He was a school superintendent in DeKalb County and helped them through a terribly difficult crisis that they experienced. And uh, Mike, we always love having you and Sam on the show together, a Democrat and Republican who both have long histories of understanding of Georgia politics and actually get along and talk respectfully with one another. Michael? Good morning, Bill. And it's always great to be on with my friend Sam Olins and, of course, Ms. Murphy. And you just got a great panel, and I'm just happy to be with you all this morning. Well, thank you for being here. Let's get right to it. Uh, Patricia, um, I think we need to start with uh, uh, the latest on the David Perdue challenge of Brian Kemp. Your colleague, Greg Bluestein interviewed him this week. And let me just read a couple of selections from uh, Greg's story and what Purdue told him. Um, the lead of the story is former U.S. Senator David Purdue wasn't planning to jump in the race for Georgia governor so soon, but Democrat Stacey Abrams scrambled his schedule when she made the leap last week, presenting the Republican with a gut check moment about whether to also challenge Governor Brian Kemp. And here's the quote. When Stacey Abrams announced it forced my hand, the last thing I want to do is run a campaign, said Purdue. But on the other hand, I can't see the state go down this road that Stacey Abrams wants to go down. Kemp has failed to unite the party, and he can't defeat her. Uh, Patricia, your re reaction to just that statement alone? 
Well, I think we all knew that Stacey Abrams was getting into this race imminently. Um, I do know that uh, David Perdue was conflicted over this. Um, I also think that Stacey Abrams' entry into the race really accelerated the whole Trump timeline as well. And so um, it is sort of another uh, indication that this race is really not going to be entirely in anyone's control, particularly David Perdue's. In a lot of ways, this race is going to be at the mercy of Donald Trump, what Donald Trump says and does, um, because this is really a race um, less about the issues and more about uh, loyalty to Donald Trump. That's why uh, a lot of the reason why there was an opening in this race. I think that's a lot of the reason why David Perdue has gotten into this race and taken that opening. And so Donald Trump's just going to be a huge piece of the conversation going forward. Yeah, I think, Mike Thurman, it, it's certainly a long race ahead. And David Perdue uh, is going to have an opportunity to lay out what he's the, the themes of his campaign, what are the issues he wants to run on. We've seen a couple of them, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But the opening salvo, the opening statement being, uh, Brian Kemp can't beat Stacey Abrams, I can, uh, strikes me as a uh, relatively... Uh, What's the word? It it just doesn't. It's not a very compelling opening case, is it, Mike? From my perspective, this is a campaign, at least as it's currently constituted, for the heart and soul of the Republican Party of Georgia, not the heart and soul of Georgia, but the heart and soul of Georgia's Republican Party. It's pure old hardball, red clay Georgia politics. And it's about who will have, who will control the the GOP apparatus in our state. And it's going to play out. And uh, I'll be sitting back with a bag of popcorn, enjoying every moment of it. Uh, as for the Purdue camp and the Kemp camp, and, uh, and I, I'm sure former Governor uh, Nathan Beal, North Georgia camp, the various competing entities within the Georgia Republican Party will have their say, and they'll determine the future direction of the party as it currently exists. Sam Olins, it, it, in the early stage of this race, once Purdue uh, jumped in, it did seem relatively clear that a great many of people who you would call more mainstream Republicans, leaders of the party in some cases, uh, quickly said, Brian Kemp is our man. Uh, we have not heard many Republican voices uh, uh, saying that they're uh, excited about David Perdue's entry into the race. Well, I think the uh, initial interviews by uh, Senator Perdue have uh, solidly placed him uh, in the control of former President Trump. Um, and... Um, I think a lot of mainstream Republicans uh, fear that and don't want that. Um, I, I'm not so sure, as my friend Mike said, that this is for the heart and soul of the Republican Party as much as, as, much as it's for the heart and soul of Donald Trump. Patricia? Which in effect, is the Republican Party. Oh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> no, and that, in <laughs> fact, is the Republican Party right now. It's Donald Trump. And if the early polling suggests anything, uh, Trump may, in fact, uh, have the uh, controlling influence over what is the Republican Party. And, and Sam is right. Uh, what has happened in the traditional mainstream Republicans are being shunted to the side once again. That was Donald Trump's whole uh, reason for existence was to get and take control of the Republican Party from mainstream country club. Republicans, as he calls them. Yeah, I think um, also, uh, um, I'm sorry, I was going to jump in ahead. and say, it's why <clears throat> this race is going to have so much national attention and national importance is because it really is a test of what it means to be a Republican in Georgia right now. And therefore, what is it going to mean to be a Republican going into 2024? Is there room in this party for a very conservative governor? <laughs> who is sitting on top of a state with record low unemployment, who has passed a six-week abortion ban, and who has pushed forward um, gun restriction loosening and pretty much everything a conservative would want. 
Um, is there room in the party for that governor if he doesn't do everything that Donald Trump says? And if there's not room in that party, um, it's, that's a totally different conversation going forward in Georgia and in the United States, who's going to run for president in 2024. Um, so it has just such huge implications. And um, the energy that reporters were hearing and seeing on the ground going into the 2020 race and the 2021 runoffs, the energy among the activists of the Republican Party is with Donald Trump. It just is. Those activists did not believe the election in Georgia was fair and square by 2021 because Donald Trump said so. Um, but they lost that race as a result of that dynamic. And so um, we'll see where what Republican voters do with this choice. And it's, it's going to have huge implications, as I said, um, for the country. So two points, if possible. I, I don't disagree with what Mike and Patricia said, but it's not just Georgia. Uh, you've got a very interesting race in Pennsylvania, a very interesting race in Nevada, uh, potentially interesting uh, in our. But as we're talking about Trump, rightly or wrongly, and you can't really avoid that topic, the memo that was released yesterday from the January 6th committee, where they were literally talking about, in essence, taking over the country, uh, is downright scary. And as we talk about former President Trump, we need to mention how, how many folks were leading him in a direction that would have potentially ended our democracy. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, here's an example of that, I think it's fair to say, uh, Patricia. Part of the interview that Bluestein did with Purdue uh, that got a lot of attention was when uh, David Perdue said to, to uh, uh, Greg, he also talked to Emma Heard at Axios about this, he said that he would not have certified the 2020 election results in Georgia had he been uh, governor, and he faults Kemp for not defending uh, President Trump during that time. And he says that he went to uh, then-Senator Kelly Leffler and, uh, and, and, and begged her to help him uh, uh, stop the election from being certified. Uh, so there's an example of the, you know, the shadow of Trump looming over uh, his decision to run against Brian Kemp, Patricia. Yeah, and it's really, it's not just an academic exercise of what would you have done, um, because there's a very real chance that Donald Trump will run again in 2024. So the person who is the governor of Georgia in 2022 um, is going to be hugely important to that question. If the exact same thing happened, if the exact same thing happened, David Perdue is saying he would not have done what Brian Kemp did, which was to formalize the certification of those votes. Um, now, technically, the Secretary of State certifies those votes after the counties have certified their votes. Um, and uh, I'm sure the other uh, local and statewide officials on the call can give the details about the legalities of that. Um, but Brian Kemp said in that moment, it, he did not have a choice. It's in the Georgia Constitution. It required him to do that or he would be breaking the law. So um, it, to say that he that David Perdue would not have done what Brian Kemp did um, is is really striking and a very, very important line for him to draw. Um, so, Mike Thurman, I want to address something that you said earlier, um, and, I, and I understood <laughs> the sentiment. Uh, you said that while Kemp and Purdue battle it out, you, as many Democrats, plan to sit back and with popcorn and just enjoy the show. But, but there are those who are worried that as Purdue, if Purdue and Kemp decide to try to uh, out-position themselves to the right, um, and as legislators have to line up in this battle, it could promote some of the most conservative legislation we've seen in a very long time during the session coming up, right? Well, it could. Uh, the, the good news, of course, is Speaker Ralston, who has uh, presented himself as a reasonable leader. And I think this actually strengthens the Speaker's hand because he is now the voice of reason in state government, as he has been on several other occasions. And he would be the stopgap. And you still have the current Lieutenant Governor, uh, Duncan, who's there, who is way outside of the Trump orbit. 
So hopefully they will be there to put a break on some of the more reactionary legislation that might present itself. But at the same time, and, and as we look at this playing out, you know, it's interesting. I think it's from Patricia Murphy was alluding to David Perdue is making uh, Brian Kemp look like a moderate. If you really think about it, he's trying to move Brian Kemp to the middle in a Republican primary, which is quite a political feat when you think about it, because Brian Kemp has been one of the most conservative, the most conservative governor we've had in, in many, many years. But Perdue's tack towards Trump moderates Brian Kemp on this one issue of not seeking to overturn a legitimate election. Sam Olins, why is the Brian Kemp, the David Perdue challenge of Kemp, any different from the Doug Collins decision to run against uh, incumbent, appointed, but incumbent Senator Kelly Leffler? Those two fought it out. They both tried to position themselves as far to the right as possible. And Republicans saw what that led to in the runoff election. Um, why doesn't this have the potential to weaken the Republican Party in the same way that uh, that did? Especially if Trump, if, if, if Purdue's not the nominee, how Trump decides to uh, tell people what to do about voting in a general election. Okay, so let me go back one quick second. Um, I don't think David Ralston's a reasonable leader. I think he's an excellent leader. I think over numerous years, he has worked with the other side of the aisle um, and, and passed some very significant legislation. And um, in agreement with Mike, I think he is the perfect speaker to have at this crucial time. Um, I think there are a couple differences in regard to your question, Bill. Um, Doug Collins was a proven conservative. Not everything out of his mouth was in praise of Donald Trump. He generally took proven, hardcore, conservative positions. And at the end of the election with Kelly, the Republican Party was still strong. What killed Kelly and David Perdue was Donald Trump in the runoff, where he overtly discouraged the Republicans that were needed to win an election to stay home. And if you just looked at uh, MTG's numbers in that runoff and Clyde's numbers in that runoff, that accounted for the loss. So I don't think in theory having a fight between a conservative and a more conservative kills the party. I think it's the Trump factor. And it, it's a little interesting here because let's face it, historically David Perdue was a mainstream Republican. He was a Fortune 500 CEO. His comments now were entirely different than his uh, business experience. Uh, Patricia, before we move on, you, you give us a little piece of history in the column that's now posted that we'll uh, get a link up to on our social media um, about past governor's races. Tell us what you're writing about for Sunday. Well, so... You know, for this um, for this week, I I really did ask uh, what would Jim Galloway do, <laughs> because it, <laughs> it, the news has just been so overwhelming, and um, it has been just a lot to take in. And I wanted to take a step back um, because it is so unusual for a sitting governor to get a strong primary challenge. And so um, I uh, went back in history and I also called up Charles Bullock um, to talk about it, uh, to find out when was the last time a Georgia governor lost a primary? Not that Brian Kemp is gonna lose, I'm not saying that, <clears throat> but when, did, when was the last time it happened? And it was 99 years ago um, in uh, 1922, Governor Thomas Hardwick lost his primary election um, because he had gone up against the Klan in Georgia. And uh, the Klan was not happy with that, uh, ran a candidate against him who was a member of the Klan. Um, and after two years, Governor Hardwick uh, lost his election. Um, other Georgians might know him um, as the governor who appointed Rebecca Felton to the U.S. Senate, which also made her the first woman in the Senate and for, for exactly oh. one day. That was his, his other claim <laughs> to fame. 
<laughs> Thank you for that history lesson. Mike Thurman, I have a little history lesson, too, and you're the historian on the panel. We don't often enough introduce you <clears throat> in that role, but you have been a longtime uh, uh, historian in looking at Georgia's books, and you've written uh, books about the history of Georgia, and you continue to work on a book about Oglethorpe, right? Uh, absolutely, and uh, actually, I just got a uh, response back from the third reading uh, at uh, UGA Press, so we're excited about that. But also, Patricia, 1922 would have been towards the end of the uh, Spanish flu pandemic. So maybe that has some connection with what's going on right interesting, now. Interesting, interesting. Well, well, I want to I want to point to a different piece of history. You know, this week, personally, I've been looking to see what is David Perdue's messaging going to be moving forward. Um, you know, is he going to have a solid? Uh, 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 platform on which he's going to run. And so far, we're waiting to hear it. And it sort of reminded me of, of an episode in 1979. Ted Kennedy in the United States Senate was going to, was thinking about mounting a, a campaign against incumbent Jimmy Carter. And he was beginning to put the pieces of that campaign together. And uh, uh, it his campaign really was um, dead before it even started, most people believe, because of an interview he gave to Roger Mudd, the CBS News correspondent. Roger Mudd asked him about the simplest question imaginable. Listen to the question and the response. Why do you want to be president? Well, I'm... uh... Were I to, to make the, uh, the announcement and uh, to run, the reasons that I would run is because I have a great belief in this country. Uh, Michael, I cut that short, but he went on for a considerable amount of time trying to find a reason for running. Now, the times are very different, and maybe being a strong supporter of Donald Trump is enough to get you through a primary. But, but you've been a longtime candidate. You've got to have a rationale, a reason you're running. Well, but he, the, the one thing that's fueling the base of the Republican Party, at least the Trump base, is some 90% of those Republicans believe that the, that the campaign or the election was stolen from Donald Trump. That is the heart of the campaign. Uh, Senator Perdue made it clear, and that resonates with that component of the electorate. Now, the one thing I will say as we look at this race unfold and this is me looking at uh, an op- not an opponent, but someone in the, my opposing uh, the Democratic Party. Don't under don't don't sell Brian Kemp short uh, in this race, even with Trump supporting David Perdue. I just wouldn't do that. Uh, having followed this man and watched him his career, uh, I still believe that he has the advantage in this race, even with Trump supporting Perdue. Sam, let me give you the last word before we have to take a break. I agree with Mike. I I would not sell Governor Kemp short. There's no one who spends more time working all across the state uh, who seeks to have uh, solid support throughout the state. And and I think Mike is 100 percent correct. All right. We're going to continue watching that race, obviously, uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Let's take a break now. When we come back, uh, let's talk a little bit about Stacey Abrams, who's launched her campaign, and uh, what her first uh, messaging, the theme of her campaign, looks like. You're listening to Political Rewind. Michael Thurman, Sam Olins, and Patricia Murphy are with us for today's Political Rewind. Uh, This week, GPB's political reporter Stephen Fowler uh, did an extended interview with Stacey Abrams about her campaign. Uh, Let's just listen to a little of what she told Stephen. I recognize that I serve as as an avatar of sorts for some of the transformations we've been able to see in our politics in part because I've been a champion for communities that have often been left out of the conversation. We have seen an extraordinary explosion in AAPI and Latino voting populations in the state. We have seen 
an emergence, a, a reemergence of our Native American populations. We have seen African Americans stand up and participate in elections at record rates, and we have seen our majority community really come together around issues where they were told that they were too fractured. And those are things I want to be part of. So I take great pride in being part of building this new coalition for Georgia. Patricia, um, that's all part of a larger uh, message that that Stacey Abrams has uh, uh, begun talking about, which is we're one people, we're one state, we're one uh, Georgia. Yes? Uh, Yes. Uh, Also in her announcement and interviews that followed, um, she's talked a great deal about um, expanding Medicaid, about helping Georgians pay off their outstanding medical debt, um, about expanding education, just broadly popular issues. And it just goes to the fact that right now Stacey Abrams is in this incredible enviable position that she is able to set her own message. She is not getting challenged by Republicans right now because they are so busy challenging each other. So that really is giving her the field to articulate her message exactly the way she wants. She's not having to respond um, to Republicans coming after her in any meaningful way quite yet. All of that will happen uh, after the Republican primary, but it really is giving her a time right now to say what she wants, when she wants, to whom she wants. And that is just a really nice place to be in uh, at this point in a statewide primary and statewide race. Mike? Well, of course, Stacey Abrams is an extremely talented uh, leader, politician, strategist, and she's going to use all those assets, I think, to advance her candidacy. But the biggest challenge may not be the Republicans of what all Democrats, not just Stacey Abrams, but what all Democrats are sensitive to is what has transpired in Virginia, uh, what has transpired in New Jersey and, and other uh, elections that have been held in 2021, uh, and that is a changing, uh, at least philosophy or changing electorate. And so, what we are going to have to do as Democrats is really is one reason she, I think, she's focusing on. I hadn't talked to her on this whole idea of one Georgia. We have to expand the electorate. We have to expand the base, and we have to make sure that we are building a coalition of a uh, progressive. Uh, moderate, uh, traditional Democrats, as well as suburban, disaffected Republicans, particularly uh, uh, white female Republicans who are more moderate on the issue. Uh, What we've seen so far is that this population is not necessarily guaranteed, even with Hispanic and Latino and Asian. We're seeing them tracking onto more conservative uh, candidates and, and embracing more conservative candidates. So we just can't look at the demographics of it. We're going to have to deliver not just a platform, but substantive actions that will build this coalition, continue to develop consensus so that we can have a winning majority on election day. And Sam, um, when you look at the national picture uh, for Democrats in, in states like Georgia, um, Stacey Abrams is going to be swimming upstream on some pretty significant issues if, if things don't change dramatically in the months ahead. Uh, we're dealing with in- inflation that could be at a 40-year high. Uh, President Biden is still uh, has low approval ratings, partly uh, because of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. People hold him accountable, apparently, according to many polls, for the fact that COVID isn't under control. Um, and these are issues, plus, not to mention, well, to mention the fact that we uh, so often see the party out of power uh, lose uh, races in an off-election year. So she's going to be swimming upstream on some big national issues, Sam. Yeah, the gift to the Republican Party in the general election will, in fact, be today's <laughs> Democratic Party. Uh, by, by definition, 39-year high of inflation, almost 7%. The disaster in Afghanistan, et cetera, as you've stated, um, as, as much as the Republicans are fighting immaturely with each other, the Democrats are doing a really good job of competing. And I think as it relates to next November, let's face it, there's a lot of independents that are not happy with what's going on in Washington, D.C. And in many ways, the, the November 2022 election is not just about President Trump, but also about Congress. 
Uh, you know, when the vice president has a 20% favorability rating, that's not good. The president's at about 39. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, it, it, when you look at it from an historical perspective, I'm hard pressed to frankly find a time where both political parties were so disfavored at the same time. Yeah. I think it's going to be really incumbent upon national Democrats to start to message their achievements in a much more sophisticated, effective way. Um, if you break down the individual components of what Joe Biden has done, um, certainly not in Afghanistan. We have to put that to the side as um, just sort of an unmitigated mess. Um, but if you look at um, the uh, COVID relief funds that were set out by Democrats, if you look at the fact that vaccinations have been free, that um, a lot of the groundwork has been put in place by Democrats uh, to try and get COVID under control, that schools are largely back in place. Um, there are There is a, a good story for Democrats to tell. They have passed this huge infrastructure bill. And if they could find a way to relate that back to individuals, communities, to the roads and bridges in their own neighborhoods, that would go a long way. But they're just not doing that right now. And I even asked, Repul I asked Democrats in Washington, um, so on the infrastructure bill, when are people going to start to see those effects? What's that going to look like in their neighborhoods? What does that look like in Atlanta? I'm like, well, there's a formula, and that'll come out in the next 18 to 28 months. I'm like, that is totally unhelpful. You know, they are not <laughs> connecting what they've done to people's lives. Um, and if they get this Build Back Better legislation through, which has a lot of things that are individually prop popular with Georgians, um, they'll need to message that in a way that is better. Right now, they are dragging down their candidates instead of propping them up with the things that they've passed so far. Mike? I agree with Patricia, actually, and it's been quite frustrating. And as Democrats, we really have to get our act together. If you really talk to real people uh, out in Georgia and around uh, uh, DeKalb County, Metro Atlanta, they are concerned about the price of food and how much it takes to put food on the table for their family. They are concerned about gas prices. These are practical things. And COVID-19, the Delta variant, you know, 800,000 Americans nearly now have lost their lives. Over 1,000 a week are dying. We have to get back and focus on the issues that people are most concerned about. And, you, you know, I did my little anecdotal windshield survey. There has not been robust shopping uh, so far during this Christmas season. People are hurting. People are afraid. And I'm talking to Democrats, but all the officials, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I, I, with Senator Perdue, I don't know that real people are so much concerned about whether Donald Trump lost or not the last election. What they are concerned about is can I, am I in a position to be able to purchase food, to, to provide food, clothing, and shelter for my family? That's what Democrats and I would think all political leaders will begin to focus on at this point in time because people are hurting uh, in this state. Well, so uh, you take that back to Stacey Abrams. Uh, Abrams will certainly run, as she's made clear, on uh, an issue that she took up the last time she ran for governor, which is the full expansion of Medicaid, uh, which would uh, uh, be the kind of issue, Mike, that I would think you believe uh, can bring people uh, together to support her uh, uh, candidacy, because it's about people who are hurting, yes? Uh, absolutely. That's an important issue. But, you know, one of the things I've learned, this, this uh, pandemic has humbled me uh, as a leader and a person. And one of the most humbling aspects of this is that I recognize that because it's a novel virus, because it's new, you can't rely on experience. And unfortunately, uh, whether it's in the public or private sector, we like to default back to our experience in terms of developing solutions and strategies. And as we look at the upcoming political race, the only caution I would have is not to allow your previous experience to dictate how you see this race and how it might unfold, because we are dealing with a situation that this generation has never faced before. And it's changing the politics, it's changing how businesses operate, it's changing how people, families interact with one another. So it's an exciting time. But it's an opportunity for, I believe, states, Abrams, and others to step forward and provide the leadership we need in Georgia 
to help Georgia prepare itself for a post-pandemic environment. So, um, Sam, the other issue that Democrats uh, are, are going to, I think, going to be judged by is the fight that their own party, I mean, it's not just Republicans who've been doing a lot of infighting. We've watched the progressive and the moderate, uh, it's in the Democratic Party in Congress, fight over issues like the infrastructure bill, the Build Back Better Act, how much money should, how far should we go, the progressives looking to have as much sway as possible. Um, I think... I think voters have watched that unfold, and it makes them uneasy about where the Democrats are headed right now. I, I certainly agree, and that's what I tried to say earlier, but this may be a good time for me to throw this small curve, and that is to mention Bob Dole, because um, it's about time that, frankly, a leading politician in our state talked about um, Americans, not Republicans, not Democrats. And if you just look to Bob Dole's, for instance, most recent statements before he passed away, um, it is country over party. It is state over party. And I wish that all the political commentary, I don't mean from the press, I mean from elected officials and candidates, referenced on actually how to improve our quality of life rather than to just spew hatred every day. Um, and Bob Dole, uh, in his later life, really took on that mission, and God bless him for doing it. Um, I do want to turn to uh, Bob Dole in, in a few minutes on the show, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned him at this point, Sam. His, his funeral is taking place today at the National Cathedral in Washington. But um, b before we turn to that, uh, Patricia, an example of really of what Sam is talking about happened uh, this week on the Hill in the Senate when uh, you know, Mitch McConnell made a deal with Chuck Schumer that would allow for the passage of the debt ceiling increase, which was going to be a very thorny issue. There were those Trump Republicans holding the line, saying we're not going to do anything to give Democrats a victory um, but they made a deal uh, and a one-time only vote to do it by a simple majority. And now we have this extension of the debt ceiling. But, but to, talking about the kind of partisan grievances that are, are driving our policy right now, Lindsey Graham, in a private luncheon uh, with Republican colleagues, told them they'd better be careful about voting for this debt ceiling. Donald Cr Trump would certainly hold them accountable for it. He said that Mitch McConnell had betrayed the party by agreeing to work with Democrats. And that's the kind of thing that Sam Olins is feeling such uh, uh, sadness about right now. But uh, how do you deal with something like that in these difficult times, Patricia? So that dynamic is not going to go away until Donald Trump goes away. And this <clears throat> is the same problem that um, Democrats I'm sorry, that Republicans, frankly, in Georgia are going to be facing. Um, do you do what you want to do or do you do what Donald Trump wants you to do? And other Republicans have learned the hard way that getting crosswise with Donald Trump is going to earn you a whole lot of trouble in your own reelection. And so every single Republican who has gone up against Donald Trump um, hasn't made it a whole lot longer in their own party, with the exception of Mitt Romney, I will say. Um, but if you look at somebody like Adam Kinzinger has decided to retire from Congress, um, Brian Kemp is not retiring, but he sure is having a Republican primary he did not expect for doing the one thing of following the law after the election that Donald Trump did not want him to do. So the question is, do you step outside of, um, of the safe zone of silence and do what you want? Or um, do you earn Donald Trump's wrath in the process? You do not want that midnight statement coming out about you and your small House race or your Senate race somewhere um, because you'll get a primary challenger. And um, you may not hold on to your job with the Republican electorate responding the way it is right now. Okay, um, I want to get to our final break of the show. There are a couple other issues I'd love to get the panel's reaction to, but then I do want to turn uh, to uh, it, it, at least a brief conversation about the legacy of Bob Dole. We'll do all that after we pause for these messages.
Sam Olins and Michael Thurman, two veterans of Georgia politics. Sam, the Republican, Mike, the Democrat, but who work together amicably and uh, and with productive results over the years. And Patricia Murphy here with us. Uh, Patricia, uh uh, the um, the speaker gave an interview to the AJC in which he began uh, talking about the issues that he sees uh, uh, playing out in the session ahead. Uh, one of the things that I noted immediately in that was when he was asked about whether he supported the Buckhead City uh, movement, he, he wasn't. He said he's not sure yet. He's going to give it some time to think about it in the weeks before the session started. But that was just one of the interesting issues that he talked about, Patricia. Yeah, you know, the the speaker is just incredibly skilled at measuring the mood within his own caucus, measuring um, the stakes in the next election, and just calibrating very carefully each step along the way, what's the best thing for this group of people um, in the Republican caucus, as well as for the chamber. You know, he's a real institutionalist, and I think the speaker uh, typically prefers to avoid high-profile just um, really ugly moments that would degrade the decorum inside that um, inside that chamber. He really guards it very carefully. So what we heard from him in this um, interview uh, that he did for the jolt, I will say, first thing in the jolt, um, he said uh, he kind of tapped the brakes on Buckhead. He's looking to see how um, how that plays out. He is open to um, the idea of a constitutional carry. Uh, bill, which is uh, the idea of letting Georgians carry guns without permits. Um, He really interestingly um, also kind of tapped the brakes on another piece of abortion legislation. Uh, Georgia's own abortion bill is um, held up in the courts. There's talk on the Senate side uh, that Butch Miller may do a Texas-style bill, but the Speaker said he's not really interested in weighing in on that until the Supreme Court comes down with a decision in Mississippi. So it's a really good uh, way to find out where the Speaker is going into the session because it'll really play a role, a huge role, in even what gets considered um, as well as how it fares uh, by the end. So it was a a really important interview. Sam, um, during the show, you, Patricia, now, uh, I think Mike also weighed in, talked about, you know, Ralston being a a tempering force uh, in the Georgia legislature, and he often is. But we shouldn't forget that even the speaker uh, when there's enough pressure from the from the the far right of the party, uh, is capable of m- taking positions or allowing things to move forward that he wasn't enthusiastic about in the first place. The heartbeat abortion law being an awfully good example of that, Sam. You know, he's uh, similar to every other elected official. You know, it, it, he uh, he listens to the folks around him. He is thoughtful. And he makes final determinations based on what he thinks is best for the Republican Party in the state of Georgia. Uh, That's what he's elected to do. Um, In in many ways, I I might add that uh, if anyone knows the CEO of DeKalb County, he's very thoughtful. He listens to a lot of people around him, and he makes the best decisions that he can for his electorate. Uh, That's what makes uh, you – proud that we still have elected officials that uh, frankly deserve our praise. Did I do that well, Mike? Oh, you perfect. Hey, man, <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 Mike, when you talk about constitutional carry, which the speaker's moving toward, which means the right to carry a gun and a concealed weapon without uh, a permit at all, um, when you know that's the sort of issue that uh, I think gets caught up in this this uh, uh, question about how far to the right legislators are moving in the session ahead. Well, yes, and you know, I first met the speaker when I was a young uh, criminal defense attorney. He was an assistant DA over in Athens, Clark County, way back in the 1970s. Let me tell you what else he's doing. He knows that the Democrats are just, what, seven or eight flips away from taking control of the Georgia House of Representatives. And he knows the quickest way to get from having the majority that the Republicans do hold to having a Democratic Speaker of the House is attacked too far to the right. And those seats, although they did everything in their power to try to create more safe Republican seats, the one thing you can't reapportion 
is the state of Georgia. And consequently, he also has an eye on trying to maintain a majority. And you can't do that uh, being a Donald Trump Republican. You just can't. All right. Um, thank you for that. Uh, let's talk about Bob Dole for a few minutes. As I said, his funeral's at the National Cathedral today. He died over the weekend, 98 years old. Um, and I want to ask all of you to say a few words about him. But but I want to, if you don't mind, I, I was fortunate enough to cover very closely Bob Dole's 1988 and uh, then his 1996 presidential race. In, 98, in, in 88, he didn't get the nomination. In 96, he lost the general to uh, Bill Clinton, of course. And I, I have to say he was one of the most fascinating, kind politicians I think I've ever covered. And at the same time, had a razor-sharp wit that could have given him a career, no question, in stand-up comedy. And the moment that I think about most with Bob Dole is, remember, he, he was grievously wounded in World War II, and he was trying to rescue a fellow soldier um, and and he was uh, uh, he was left uh, without much of a life to live ahead of him as a result of his wounds. He was in medical hospitals for a year. He finally went home to Russell, Kansas, which is a tiny dot on a vast prairie of Kansas, a rural community. And during his time convalescing there, both physically and emotionally, the people of Russell, Kansas, uh, saved him. They worked. They they br brought him back to a life that led him to this remarkable career in Congress. I went to Russell, Kansas, in 1988. I spent time with Bob and Elizabeth Dole, uh, walking around the town with them, and I found it to be some of the most inspiring moments, certainly, of my career of covering politics. Patricia, I don't know the experiences you may have had because I'm not quite sure how you overlapped during your tenure. Uh, working on the Hill with Bob Dole. Uh, yeah, so I worked for Senator Nunn when uh, Senator Dole was uh, in the Senate and announced his candidacy. Um, but he was one of many, many veterans at the time who uh, served alongside each other. He was actually in the hospital um, in Michigan after he was wounded with Dan Inouye, who ended up being a U.S. senator, a Democrat from Hawaii. They were very close friends. They were actually very close friends in the hospital. And Dan Inouye ran for office because Bob Dole was running for office in Kansas. Um, and they continued to be excellent friends, but in different parties. And that is a real moderating influence that you can just feel absent as more and more veterans from World War II and Vietnam are passing away and leaving um, the leadership of the country. It, it feels like it's draining away that group of people who understand that there's something more important than politics. Yeah, and that's where you were leading us, Sam, uh, when you talked about Bob Dole a little while ago. I mean, certainly he had sharp divisions with Democrats on any number of issues, and yet he was able to form bipartisan alliances on important issues um, that uh, he thought mattered most to the country. You know, look, the, uh, the ADA wouldn't be here, potentially, but for Bob Dole. Um, the fix to the Social Security system wouldn't be here without Bob Dole. You can be um, firm in your beliefs. You can sometimes be too strong in your beliefs. But if at the end of the day you keep in mind that you're there for your country, that's progress. Um, and and the, the issue that's so troubling, as you mentioned, Bill, is with the uh, resignation of Johnny in the U.S. Senate, you can't count on one hand the number of congressmen and women that eagerly seek to work on the other side of the aisle. And that that, that is, uh, frankly, as scary to me as some of the former president's efforts to... Um, adversely affect our democracy. 
Um, Mike, uh, uh, Bob Dole worked on an essay about bipartisanship in the days before he died. He started it apparently a few months ago. He finished it literally just days before he passed away. Yesterday, uh, in the rotunda at U.S. Capitol, President Biden read from that op-ed. I'd like to play just a little of it and have you all comment on it. I cannot pretend that I have not been a loyal champion of my party but have always served my country best when I did it so first and foremost as an American, where we prioritize principles over party, humanity over personal legacy. When we do that, we accomplish far more as a nation. By leading with shared faith in each other, we become America at its best. He went on to say, a beacon of hope, a source of comfort in crisis, a shield against those who threaten freedom. Our nation has certainly faced periods of division. But at the end of the day, we've always found ways to come together. We can find that unity again. Mike, I think most of us who have devoted a life to either covering politics, observing it, or being part of it, wish for those times again. Absolutely. And, you know, Matt Cleveland introduced me to Bob Dole one night at a dinner party and uh, when I was serving his ballet, and I was just so thrilled. Bob Dole, member of the greatest generation, a great American, no matter what your political affiliation is, you got to admire the life that he lived and, and the life that he gave for his country. One last reminder to all elected officials or those who might be aspiring to be, Bill, history casts the final ballot. Uh, Oftentimes, Michael you have Th- to stand up for what is right, regardless as to the political expediency of it. Michael Thurman, Sam Oldens, Patricia Murphy, thank you for a wonderful conversation uh, today. By the way, Sarah Callis, uh, who has been working as a temporary producer on this show for the past couple months and has been making extraordinary contributions, leaves us today, but she's just walking down the hall where she's going to go help on all things considered. Sarah, we've loved having you with us. Have a great time over there at All Things Considered. We're out of time for uh, the final show of this week. We're back, of course, on Monday. I hope you all have a great weekend. Um, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care, stay healthy, and go get a booster shot if you haven't had one yet. CDC says it's pretty important. See you all next week.